the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Founder of The Way to My Heart, Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas with us today. Information available on the web at thewaytomyheart.org. That's thewaytomyheart.org. Her program, The Heart of Innovation, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. We are talking about PAD, peripheral artery disease. And, And Kim, I'm curious, as much as, like in my stepmother's case, she was diagnosed. And I don't want to scare people here, but I think folks need to to have complete and full information. How often, I'm curious, uh, to your knowledge, is peripheral arterial disease, arterial disease asymptomatic in that it's there, it's lurking, it's doing its damage, people are completely unaware, and does it reach a point where there is irreversible damage? And if so, what does that damage look like? Well, it's, it's just like people who have a heart attack. Your arteries in your coronary region, they start to block up. Do you really feel anything as it's continuing to build? You might notice that you're a little more fatigued, but you also blame that on old age for the most part. And your doctor is not going to perform any advanced cardiovascular testing until you experience chest pain or you have shooting pain going down your your arm or something like that. Same goes in your legs. And we find that more in women that they seem to be asymptomatic until they end up a toe step away from the amputation. And what I mean by that is when they end up going to, and I see this all the time, and I hear this story all the time, a woman goes and gets a pedicure and one wrong move by the pedicurist and they end up with an ingrown toenail that doesn't heal. And it gets inspected and it starts to turn gangrenous very fast over the course of even a month or two. And we actually had a a princess from another country that that happened to that we had to advocate for out of Southern California. She was here visiting. And, you know, she ended up passing due to the wrong treatment, which is also a a huge issue. They found us after the fact. Um, But the thing is that you need to take off your socks when you go to the doctor if you have high risk factors. And you need to say, check the pulses in your feet if you have high blood pressure if you have high cholesterol which remind me i have a key point on cholesterol i really want to make in a moment um but high blood pressure high cholesterol family history diabetes in particular as i mentioned before one in three people who have pad have diabetes have you ever smoked have you ever vaped anything you breathe in that is on fire any smoke becomes toxic to your arteries because your heart is pumping that oxygen-depleted blood into your lungs to pick up some oxygen to pump back through your blood to provide nutrients and oxygen to the rest of your body, your critical organs, and clear down to your toes. Um, you know, there's so many different... Age is also a factor. Over the age of 50, as I said, one in, um, one in 10 actual um, of everyone over the age of 50 has um, PAD. But you don't really 
know it. You don't notice it. You might notice you slow down a little bit, but when it comes to diabetes, you may just think it's just normal neuropathy. If it's, you know, if, it, if you're just an average person, maybe, you know, you've smoked a little bit, you might think it's part of just aging. Or you might think you just pulled a muscle but just can't remember what you might have done. So it's really important at every single appointment for your doctor to take two seconds, two fingers to feel your leg pulses. And, and it sounds like from what you're suggesting, Kim, that you really need to advocate for one's own health. I mean, as in my my stepmother's case, you know, it wasn't that she was necessarily being ignored by the doctors, but everybody kind of, well, we're looking at your chart here. You have a history of high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, your age. This is all kind of typical and, uh, you know, kind of in, in a sense almost dismissive, but as you're suggesting, you can have it. You might have maybe asymptomatic or mild symptoms, but then suddenly you are working in the garden and you stub your toe. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a injury that is chronic, will not heal. And because of the lack of proper circulation combined with many of these other factors, the risk of potentially losing a toe, losing a foot escalates pretty dramatically it, it really does and I really want to paint the picture of how big of a problem is this is because it's interesting you know this kills more people than breast cancer prostate cancer and colon cancer combined wow say, say that again because some people might be only half half listening and I want for them to really capture the severity of what we're discussing today repeat that if you would please in a simpler fashion, the only cancer that kills more people than peripheral artery disease is lung cancer. Wow. And yet, you see so much research going towards cancer, but yet this is a deadly disease that impacts the majority of people and is getting worse around the world. That's that three in five people who suffer a heart attack. Three in five. Most people who suffer a heart attack have peripheral artery disease. And if only the doctor took two seconds, two fingers, to feel those leg pulses and the foot pulses, life and limb could be saved. And it's so important. We always tell people to take a moment and say, hey doc, let's chat. Chat is an acronym for C, carotid, check your neck. Those are the arteries in your neck. H is for heart, of course. Not only taking the stethoscope to, to check for the heartbeat and for AFib. AFib is really important because if you have AFib, you can throw clots and that can also lead to peripheral artery disease because you have different types of plaque. It can be rock hard calcium or it could even be as soft as just a little clot, right? But those clots can cause damage. You also want to check in the heart for valvular issues because those valves, if they're malfunctioning, they can also throw clots. A is for um, abdomen, for aneurysm. My mom transitioned unexpectedly and tragically last year due to an aneurysm. They brushed off all of her symptoms where you, she had radiating pain from her back to her front and front to back and had lost her appetite and all these other symptoms. You want the doctor to check, put their hand, put their stethoscope on your belly and check for what's called a brewy. Brewy is spelled brute. Now you'll never forget it. B-R-U-I-T. And it's turbulent flow inside your abdomen. They used to check your abdomen all the time. And as we've gotten older, they're no longer checking. Tell them to stop and check. Pull up your shirt. And lastly, check your toes. T 
in the chat stands for toes. Take off both socks, have them put their hands around your feet, feel the temperature, and put their fingers on your pulses. Check the ankle, check behind the knee, and make sure that your blood is flowing and those pulses are bounding. That is so important. If you've just joined us visiting today with Kim McNicholas, Kim is the host of a great show called The Heart of Innovation, heard Saturday mornings at 11 on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. Um, We are talking about PAD or peripheral artery disease, and this might be something maybe you're just hearing about for the very first time, and maybe some of the dots are beginning to connect for you. Yeah, you've you've had some difficulties with... pain in the lower extremities, especially around the calves, or numbness, tingling in your toes, extremely cold feet, things of this sort, and doctors have just kind of been dismissive. Well, you, in fact, could be suffering from PAD, and if not treated quickly, can lead to a whole host of issues, as we're learning today. Now, Kim, you mentioned the importance of talking about cholesterol, and I want to come to you right after a quick timeout and have you take us a little bit deeper into that arena, because certainly with the diet of the average American, high cholesterol is something that a good percentage of us are challenged by. But how might high cholesterol play into exacerbating not just the symptoms of PAD, but its impact on your health and quality of life? We'll get to that part of the discussion. With us today, award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas. Information available on the web at thewaytomyheart.org. That's thewaytomyheart.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. As you are likely eavesdropping on our conversation this afternoon and maybe thinking, aha, finally, I have a name for it. I suspected there was something that wasn't quite right, but I was just never satisfied with the answers, almost dismissive answers that I kept getting from my doctors. Now I understand. Maybe, just maybe, I have peripheral artery disease. We're talking about that topic today with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas. Her program, by the way, you can check out Saturday mornings at 11 on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. And it is called Simply the Heart of Innovation and information available on the web about Kim at thewaytomyheart.org. Kim, we've got some listeners that have called in, want to get a little bit more details. So let's head first to a great state of Texas. Uh, the Internet's a wonderful thing. Doug, come on in with your question for Kim McNicholas. Yes, I also suffer from PAD, but I was wondering, what is the toughest challenge you face today in, in changing the healthcare system for us as patients between the doctors and all the things that we go through? Boy, excellent question, and, and not dissimilar from the experience of my stepmother. Kim? Well, I think number one is the challenge is in getting to the primary care physicians who are already tapped for time and resources. And they see, you know, sometimes between 40 and 50 people a day and they're just trying to get the chief complaints, get them in, get them out. And they only have maybe an hour or two in all of medical school about PAD. And so we have to get to them in order to educate them so they can spot the signs sooner. Getting them to know the risk factors and getting these patients 
tested sooner, I think is really key. There are a couple pieces of legislation um, over on Capitol Hill that are trying to make it a lot easier to, for patients to get tested earlier, which I think will raise awareness and make primary care physicians more willing and able to order um, very basic testing what's called an ankle brachial index or ABI test. That's where they put blood pressure cups on your legs or your, in your arms. And then they measured the differential. I don't like that test as much. I'm seeing it phased out in some of the more advanced treatment centers for PAD or peripheral artery disease. I prefer an artery ultrasound of the legs uh, because you can get a lot of false normals or false um, negative results with, um, with the ankle brachial index. Uh, the other issue that I'm seeing is insurance companies. It's a huge problem getting insurance companies to approve early diagnosis, early treatment. We have had so many of our patients on deck for amputation, and the insurance companies will deny a limb-saving procedure. And in fact, in one state, I'm going to say it in the state of Michigan, there was an insurance company that said, you need to see a certified vascular surgeon in order for us to pay for your treatment. Well, that certified vascular surgeon said amputation was the only option. His previous doctor was an interventional cardiologist. He was offering an advanced limb-saving treatment that uses minimally invasive techniques, such as wires, balloons, and those so-called rotoverving devices, maybe even a stent. The patient lost its leg. So that's really frustrating for us. And one of our initiatives is, you know, we write letters to insurance companies to educate them and to inspire them on new life and limb saving treatments that are available and to remind them that the cost of amputation is going to be a long-term financial burden on them and society. And it's a quality of life issue, too. And like in the case of my stepmother, yes, initially misdiagnosed when we finally found a doctor who knew what was going on, immediately said, okay, we're going to go in, we're going to run a sonogram. In fact, I was there when they did the first uh, the first test, and you could hear the, the swooshing sound, and yeah. then said, okay, we have a problem here, uh, ordered that stints be installed. She had stints put in in both legs and to listen to the difference of the blood flow pre and post was absolutely incredible. Of course, the good news, Kim, is all of the normal pinkness to her toes has all been restored. The the numbness is gone. The tingling feeling is gone. She doesn't have the leg cramping anymore. She was one of the victory stories, but sadly, that's not always the case. And as Kim is pointing out, that's the reason why you need to be an advocate for your own health care. And I guess especially, too, Kim, if you have a friend, a loved one who's got you know severe swelling of the ankles and, and many of the symptoms that we talked about today, it would be good to sit down and have this conversation. Have you considered? Have you had a doctor take a look and at least do an examination to see whether or not you potentially are suffering from peripheral artery disease? And I think that's true. The one key thing is just because they have the title of doctor doesn't mean they have the best treatment for you or the most advanced treatment. Different doctors have different tools, different techniques, different approaches, and different philosophies, and they could make the difference between life and limb. Do not look at facility name and prestige of a facility or how many publications a doctor has or how many times that they speak on a podium around the world. That's not what matters. You need to have someone that has advanced skills. And on our website, we have the criteria that you need to use 
to determine if your doctor, your vascular specialist, which could be a vascular surgeon, interventional radiologist, or interventional cardiologist, if either one of those has the best, most advanced, minimally invasive treatment option for you. That's what's really key. And again, the website, thewaytomyheart.org, is where you can get a lot of that information and take advantage of those resources. Okay, Kim, you mentioned earlier some concerns in relationship to an issue that a lot of Americans, sadly, are struggling with, and that is high cholesterol. Right. So uh, my dad, for example, ended up on the verge of a heart attack. He started feeling some chest pain, but he figured it was just indigestion. So I went with him to urgent care. He, I always call it leading the witness, talked about his symptoms and oh, and when he burped, you know, it seemed to provide relief. And so she was like, oh, okay, here's some Prilosec, go home. And I said, mm, no, I don't think so. Um, I want an ECG because he has a family history. The doctor said, no, I believe it's this. And I said, I have a credit card that says that you can perform an ECG. She did, lo and behold, there was an abnormality. Um, but it was during the time, the reason she said she didn't want to perform the test or didn't think above and beyond his symptoms and what he was saying was that he had normal cholesterol in a basic lipid panel. You can have normal cholesterol and be at high risk of cardiovascular disease and PAD, and you can have high cholesterol and not be at risk. What's really key is not just getting the quantity. You want to get the quality of your cholesterol. And that's where you need to ask for an advanced lipid panel. You want to know how many of the large, fluffy LDL particles are in your blood versus the small, dense LDL particles. Because it's those that when they become oxygenated by the trans fats and all that other crap, they can actually sneak in to damaged areas in your vessels and actually push the wall out. So it's those that you really care about the most. So you may still need to take action like be on a statin or increase your soluble fiber in your diet because you know you want to get those little LDL particles to excrete as quickly as possible. Um, and the way to do that is to increase the amount of bowel movements you have in the day. That can actually help you reduce cholesterol. Little, little tip there. Um, but that's really important because the more cholesterol you have, of those little ones running around your body, they're the little troublemakers. And they're going to start building up and building up and building up. And they're going to start causing blockages. So you've got to be concerned. And, and, you know, once again, this kind of underscores the notion of early diagnosis is key. Advocating for your own health care, critically important. And getting educated and, and understanding, okay, what are the symptoms? What are many of the the things, the diseases, the, 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 the poor aspects of our health that are kind of feeders into peripheral artery disease? Things like a history of smoking, diabetes, we've mentioned uh, if you're somebody who's been diagnosed with arteriosclerosis high cholesterol as kim just mentioned high blood pressure all of these can be factors that feed in and if a doctor is just dismissive hey you know it's natural at your age or with diabetes this happens to people of your size whatever the excuse might be it's going to be important that you stop and say no doc i really need you to go deeper and if that doctor won't do the necessary exams, then go find one that will advocate for your own health. And it begins with 
getting educated. Good way to do that on this topic is to check out Kim's program. It's called simply The Heart of Innovation, Saturday mornings at 11 on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. And you can get complete details and take advantage of those resources that Kim mentioned a moment ago by checking out her website, thewaytomyheart.org. That's thewaytomyheart.org. Kim, it's been a delight to visit with you, and hopefully we've not only educated some people today, but maybe, just maybe, even saved some lives. I hope so. And I want to make one announcement on here, because this is a Christian station, that we are launching Prayer Walk for Pad Awareness. So get your congregation to start doing Prayer Walk for Pad Awareness and start building those collaterals that God created for you. Absolutely. Kim McNicholas, award-winning journalist, founder of The Way to My Heart. Information on again on the web at thewaytomyheart.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Warnings by the State Department that travelers should be concerned about potential travel to certain key hotspots around the globe during the summer vacation season. Of course, all of this on the heels of what seems to be deafening silence out of Washington, D.C. concerning the Egypt airplane that crashed and still questions about why. I think many probably concluded correctly from the very get-go that it seems to walk like a duck and smell like a duck and quack like a duck, so it probably is terrorism. We just don't know. The irony, of course, is if we look at these acts, whether it be the Egypt air crash or what transpired in places like Brussels or Paris before that, it seems to run contrarian to what we've been told. In fact, we've heard repeatedly over the last several years... ISIS is gaining strength, aren't they? Well, I don't think they're gaining strength. What is true is, is that from the start, our goal has been first to contain, and we have contained them. They have not gained ground in Iraq and in Syria. It, they'll come in, they'll leave, uh, but you don't see the systematic march by ISIL uh, across the terrain. There should be no doubt. Today, America is stronger, and Al-Qaeda is on the path to defeat. We've decimated Al-Qaeda's leadership. Al-Qaeda is on the path to defeat, and bin Laden is dead. We've decimated Al-Qaeda Central. We have eliminated Osama bin Laden. Al-Qaeda is much weaker than it was when I came into office. Osama bin Laden is dead, and General Motors is alive. The war in Afghanistan is coming to a close. Al-Qaeda is on the path to defeat. Osama bin Laden is dead. Today, the core of Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and Pakistan is on the path to defeat. Their remaining operatives spend more time thinking about their own safety than plotting against us. Of course, the irony with all of that is that Terrorism is actually on the increase. In fact, we've seen in the last couple of years 10 times more killed in attacks today than 15 years ago. Joining me now is celebrated author Sebastian Gorka. He is considered one of the world's most sought-after authorities on the issue of counterterrorism and global terrorism. And he's author of a new book called Defeating Jihad, The Winnable War. And Sebastian, great to have you on the program. Wonderful to be on your show. I guess it begs the big key question. Contrary to what we've been told by the president, by the State Department, uh, it appears as if terrorism, as I suggest from the pure numbers, seems to be on the rise. And if that be the case, and as your book suggests, this is a winnable war, then I guess the question begged by all of us is, why aren't we winning it? 
because we have the wrong strategy and we have a commander-in-chief that doesn't want to win the war. It's very, very simple. All right. When you say wrong strategy, let's drill down into some specifics. Uh, We frequently hear the president talk about fighting terrorism or fighting extremism. And yet I've always thought it quite odd if we think back to, let's take World War II, for example. Um, During World War II, we we didn't hear President Roosevelt or Churchill say that we were fighting uh, Blitzkrieg. They said we were fighting Nazism or to suggest that we were fighting kamikaze and not the Japanese. Is that part of the problem here that we've got to kind of got caught up in this in this ideology from our standpoint that we're afraid to call it what it is? Oh, that's a huge part of it. We, we deny the relevance of ideology completely. We, we have an administration that wishes to, wishes to say again and again and again that uh, this enemy has nothing to do with religion. It's all about unemployed people who are uneducated. And you're not even allowed to call them by the name they call themselves. They say they are jihadis. They are holy warriors for Allah. And the White House banned six years ago any mention of religion in the training of our FBI or our military and even said that we're Words like jihad are forbidden from training manuals. So, yes, we, we, we have this insane political correctness that makes it impossible to talk honestly about the, the enemy, who they want, or what, who they are and what they want. Beyond it hampering our ability to talk in open, honest dialogue, in the very least amongst ourselves, it, it seems, as you suggest in the book, Sebastian, that it's going uh, even deeper than that, that it's actually inhibiting our ability to attack the enemy and, and once and for all defeat it. And and I find it ironic during the the last round of debates between um, Hillary Clinton and um, Bernie Sanders, the question was raised concerning terrorism. And Bernie Sanders, uh, with a straight face, said that, quote, and I'm quoting here, climate change directly relates to the growth of terrorism. It, It seems as if this is more than just an inability to call terrorism or those responsible for it what it is. It also seems as if we think that if we if we pretend as if the boogeyman isn't behind the closet or if there's there's no skeletons underneath the bed that they somehow go away by just changing language. No, and, and it's not just crazy communists from Vermont. I mean, this is something that the, the Obama administration has made, uh, you know, gospel inside the Pentagon. The, even, you know, I've met colonels who say that the primary threat to America is global warming or climate change. So the, the administration has created a fantasy land that has no reality to what's going on in the Middle East. People being crucified as we speak uh, on this telephone line. People are being sold as slaves and they want to talk about polar bears and uh, icebergs melting. This is, this is the absurd reality America lives in today. But why such a disconnect from reality? Because, you know, there are any number of sources available out there. Even the New York Times, certainly an old bastion of conservatism, um, has published reports and stories that demonstrate the precise number of Americans that have died, for example, since 9-11. We know that on 9-11, 2,996 people perished, many of them United States citizens or permanent residents. We also know that uh, since 9-11, over 7,000 Americans have died on battlefields in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. And another, another even more startling number is that nearly a million, 900,000, have been injured in this war that we've waged, quote-unquote, against terrorism over the last 15 years. And yet it's a war that, as you suggest, we're clearly not winning, and a lot of it has to do with the strategy or better put perhaps Sebastian the lack of strategy here 
Well, yes, it's a lack of strategy, but it's many things. It's, it's deep philosoph- philosophical things. If if you're a politician who doesn't have a serious understanding of religion, you look at religion in a, in a Freudian interpretation, or you you think of it as as just some kind of social club that you go to on Sundays, uh, you're not going to understand somebody who's motivated by their faith to kill us. So, number one, there's a kind of worldview issue. Second, there's an ideological um, problem. Look at who Obama was shaped by. Look at who Secretary Clinton was shaped by. Look at who all of his key advisors were shaped by. These are people who primarily see America as the problem. These are people who were taught by Alinsky or looked up to Saul Alinsky, people who venerate individuals like Noam Chomsky. These are American self-haters. They always see America as the problem, and as a result, they relate much more closely to our enemies than they do to our allies or to the values of the founding. And it's amazing. If we could turn back the clock 70-something years, the very kind of statements that many of these individuals have made would be considered outright acts of, what should we call it, but, but perhaps directly what it is, and that is acts of treason. Well, yes. I mean, if you think about, could you imagine any other, other other administration in history giving more than $100 billion to a government that has killed American Marines and uh, has been a sponsor of government uh, terrorism for more than 30 years? That's Iran. That's the, that's the Obama-Iran deal. We are giving $150 billion to one of the biggest sponsors of Islamic terrorism. This, this would be unconscionable in any prior age and would would really have led to court-martials or to impeachments. If you've just joined our conversation, best-selling author Sebastian Gorka with us today. He is considered one of the nation's most foremost authorities on terrorism and counterterrorism. He has a new book out recently published by Regnery Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. It's called Defeating Jihad, The Winnable War. We'll talk more about some of the tactics necessary to win this war as our conversation with Sebastian Gorka continues right here on Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Iraq, almost 100,000 troops have come home and civilians are poised to keep the peace. In Afghanistan, integrated military and civilian surges have helped set the stage for our diplomatic surge to support Afghan-led reconciliation that can end the conflict and put al-Qaeda on the run. We had a lot of conversation about ISIS in the last week. Let's not forget al-Qaeda. They still have the most sophisticated bomb makers, ambitious plotters, and active affiliates in places like Yemen and North Africa. Of course, just four years prior to that statement, they were all on the run. We're back to our conversation with Sebastian Borka. His new book is called Defeating Jihad, The Winnable War. And you made mention about some of the identifiable nations that have been involved in supporting terrorism. And I have to wonder, as I did even in the days after 9-11, when it came to light that 15 of the 19 9-11 terrorists were all Saudi Arabian citizens, Osama bin Laden himself from Saudi Arabia. Now we find out that financial support of the terrorists coming from no less than the Saudi royal family was ongoing, and yet it seems as if we're not willing to identify this country as an organized enemy of ours simply, Sebastian, for what? Because we got a great oil deal from them? 
Well, it's a little bit more complicated than saying Saudi Arabia is behind terrorism. The fact is there's no such thing as a unitary Saudi state. We have individual actors amongst the the royal families, the princes, the government officials that have been acting, as we know, since the siege of Mecca in 1979 that I detail in, in the book Defeating Jihad, that, that have been sponsors of, of ideolo- ideological export of things like jihadism. So, you know, you know they, they, they're kind of in a half-pregnant situation. Half the time they're on our side, half of them aren't on our side. And, of course, don't forget, this is a very important uh, oil nation as well. So all of these things uh, together uh, add up to make a very uh, complex relationship to America and to the international jihadi movement. We've seen multiple attacks on U.S. soil since 9-11. I'm thinking specifically of things like Fort Hood, the Boston Marathon, Chattanooga, most recently San Bernardino. When you heard the news concerning the downing of Egypt Air Flight, what was your initial reaction? Well, as soon as I got the initial information about where this plane had been, the fact that the flight originated in Paris and was going to Egypt, both very uh, symbolically important to the jihadis, and then we had the strange information about it losing contact with the air traffic controllers, going into some kind of very violent uh, spin. Um, these things point towards some kind of man-made event, some kind of terrorist uh, conspiracy. But of course, these things take uh, months, sometimes even years to adequately investigate but all the things we know right now point to the very great likelihood of it being some kind of terrorist attack. Based on your experience and understanding of the way terrorist cells operate the way they organize, the way they select and then attack targets um, as we're here in a critical, perhaps one of the most critical election years ever in the history, certainly of, of America in the last five or six generations, if you could could sit down with whoever the presumptive president will be come January of 2017 and could have a discussion pertaining Sebastian specifically toward changing the tide, meaning moving from a war that we have been consistently losing since 9-11 to a war that we can win. What would be your advice? What would be your counsel in terms of what we need to change, both in terms of action, mentality, and attitude in order to get this thing on the right track and actually be able to go in and as we've heard stories from Washington, actually defeat these terrorists. Well, it's, it's really, this is the, the final chapter of the book, and it's based upon three things. So the new strategy for the next commander-in-chief is, number one, get politics and especially political correctness uh, out of the equation. So no more censorship of who the enemy is and what they believe. So just be truthful and honest about the enemy and how to defeat them. Uh, secondly, we have to realize that whilst they're crucifying Christians and, and, and beheading Yazidis, uh, this is, in fact, also a, a group that mostly target Muslims. So the primary victims of groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda are those Muslims who disagree with them. So we have to empower these individuals to take the fight to the jihadis. This is especially uh, Jordan and Egypt, uh, nations that uh, the Obama administration has really turned their backs towards. And then lastly, uh, uh, something, uh, a lesson from the Cold War, 
is we have to, if we really want to win, if we don't want to do whack-a-mole for another 15 years, is we have to uh, delegitimize the ideology of the enemy. The same way we delegitimize communism, we have to delegitimize the ideology of global jihad. And that's going to take a strategic counter-propaganda push that has to be driven out of the White House. So we need leadership, we need honesty, we need truth, and we have to empower our allies in the region. What about this notion, though, and we often hear this argument uh, put out by the ideologues out there that say, well, but here's the challenge, and that is that not all Muslims are engaged in terrorism, not all Muslims wish to see the defeat of Western ideals or Western nations like the United States or Paris, for that matter, France, etc. And so how do we go about opening up the dialogue where we can eliminate, as you say, the political speak and have honest, open dialogue about not only what's really going on here, but who's behind it, while at the same token, not, quote unquote, offending the, the average Muslim out there. And we have to stop worrying about that. When, when Muslim fighter pilots from Jordan are being burnt alive in cages and then videoed by ISIS, uh, we, we just stop caring about people's feelings. People are being massacred right now. Let's start winning this war and, and concentrating on what's important. We're not going to offend people who know that their whole way of life, their families are at danger because they disagree with ISIS. So again, I, I think we, we need a dose of reality and we have to realize that the front line of this war shouldn't be white-skinned or you know, black-skinned Americans. It should be the local Sunnis who are most at threat and uh, we should talk to them honestly. And you know what? Having worked with many of them for the last 10 years, uh, they will appreciate our honesty. Going back, did we make mistakes in terms of engaging secular governments? I think of what's happened in Iraq, most notably, and what seems to be just the, the unraveling of that nation since the deposing or dethroning of Saddam Hussein. Not to suggest that he was a good guy or that uh, you know he, he ought to be attending state dinners at the White House, but I have to wonder if you, if you displace a secular government and it gets replaced by a, a, a theologically driven government, such as what we saw in the 70s in, um, uh, in Iran, if part of this sort of mix that we've created here isn't, isn't because of our own doing. Well, look, Saddam Hussein is the only man in history after Adolf Hitler to use chemical weapons against his own citizens. So nobody should cry over the loss of Saddam Hussein. Agreed. Uh, justifying it in terms linking it to 9-11, that was problematic. Um, but there's a bigger issue. The, the, the bigger issue is you can depose somebody if you want, if you can argue that it's in the U.S. national interest. But then to have U.S. JAG officers write the new constitution of both Iraq and Afghanistan with statements inside the, the constitutions that say the Sharia law uh, supersedes anything in this constitution. That's madness. We, we, ne we never said Bushido supersedes what the Japanese constitution says after we took over Japan, nor did we say anything about Nazi theology or ideology superseding anything to do with the this constitution of West Germany while we were occupying it. But that's what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it's inexcusable. Does it also demonstrate a, a, a fundamental flaw in leadership, specifically out of Washington, D.C., and military leadership to a degree as well. Does it demonstrate, in your opinion, Sebastian, a fundamental misunderstanding of exactly the teachings of Islam or Sharia law? 
Absolutely. I mean, arrogance, ignorance uh, combined in a deadly cocktail. I completely concurred. How on earth could anybody, after witnessing the last 14 years of history, 1400 years of history, think that theocracy in the Islamic context was a good idea? I mean, that's what Iran is. That's why Ataturk was so important in Turkey, because he broke the theocratic traditions. And then what do we do? We reimpose theocracy on the nations that we say we liberated after 9-11. It, it, it couldn't have been a worse decision, especially after Mr. Bremer fired all the Iraqi military. So those things together created a witch's brew, some of which are the consequences we are having to deal with today. Final question for you, Sebastian. Is part of that witch's brew to our inability to really understand which allies we ought to be aligning ourselves and which ones we had better avoid? And I ask that question because what it appears to be a degree of bumbling going on in relationship to how we've handled Syria and in specific, um, how we've handled Syria in relationship to Mr. Putin and Russia. Totally. Yeah, I'm totally misunderstanding. The the idea that you can um, bomb uh, Gaddafi's uh, uh, country uh, and then afterwards it will work after he's killed. The idea that in Syria we're going to help this group of jihadis vice that group and then the idea that we can pull out of the region 2011 and people like Putin aren't going to exploit that situation. Yeah, yeah so it, it's really quite shocking. America is, is the, the, the most uh, amazing nation the world has ever seen. It's the most powerful nation the world has ever seen. But the last 15 years, it has acted in a completely astrategic way. And that's really, you know, the reason why I wrote my book. Well, we appreciate you taking time to share some of your insights today. And for listeners that would like to go deeper, and I think for the value of all of us, we need to go deeper because this presents a real serious threat to not only our freedoms and liberties here at home, but to allies in freedom-loving countries around the world, and of course, a direct threat to even the existence of Muslims as well. And I think that Sebastian is very accurate in pointing out, look, this is not singularly a war of Islam against Western ideals, Western mentality, Western governance, Western religion, because the vast majority of the physical casualties of Islam are not people in the West. They are other Muslims. And so rethinking this approach Shedding the code of political correctness, not so worried about what people are going to think, but rather how we can save lives. Is look, if you've ever taken time to read your history books, you know that not a lot of time was spent worrying about, well, gee, if we had, if we announced that we're going to be declaring war on Japan after, say, December the 7th, or Nazi Germany, or the Axis powers, including Italy, what will Italians think of us? How can we possibly do this and run the risk of offending them? Was it about protecting America's rights and freedoms or about being so overcome with concerns about whether or not somebody might momentarily be offended that we were not willing or capable of taking the action necessary to protect our very lifestyle, freedoms and history? And I'm afraid if we do not wake up and begin to shed this coat of political correctness, the outcome of this war might be very different. It is a war, as suggested by Sebastian Gorka, that is winnable. The book called Defeating Jihad, The Winnable War, 
published by Regnery Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through the usual suspects, Amazon.com at all. Regnery Press, of course, part of the very same fine company that owns this here radio station. And our thanks to best-selling author and the gentleman considered one of the uh, most outstanding Authorities on counterterrorism and uh, and global terrorism, um, Sebastian Gorka. Thank you so much, Sebastian, for being with us today on Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.